Good morning, everybody. All right. Look at that. Morning, Pastor. Good morning. How are you today? I'm blessed. I'm glad. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Indeed. <clears throat> All right. Well, I got 10 o'clock. Y'all ready to get this thing going? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, most of you are muted. If you have any questions, anything you'd like to talk about before we get started, please unmute yourself and uh, give it a holler. Um, after that, we'll, uh, we'll dive into our text for this morning. So does anybody have anything that you'd like to talk about on your minds today? All right, so we're going to be, um, again, on Sunday morning as we're kind of rolling back into things, we're going to be taking a look at the pericope that we'll be uh, hearing a sermon on um, shortly. And it lets us keep sermons in the 10-minute range instead of the 45-minute range. Uh, Luther, Chemnitz, Gerhard, all the fathers, they preached very long sermons, Walther. Um, and a lot of it was because they didn't have such a thing as Bible study hour. And so it was their job to both teach and proclaim inside of the same thing. We've been given a gift um, in this, this idea that, that we would actually meet uh, both, both pastor and lay people together uh, to study the scriptures on our own time. Um, and so that also lets us deal with the fact that we've been given the burden of very short attention spans. And so I know that I can preach 45 minutes, but I don't like listening to me for that long, and I can't imagine you would either. So again, as we kind of um, take this time, we'll be looking at the text that I'm going to preach on, and hopefully that gives you a deeper understanding of where we're coming from in the sermon. Uh, that gives you a deeper understanding of the text and the background and some of the the doctrine that goes alongside of it so that as we find the proclamation inside of a Sunday service, uh, we, we can hopefully take a little bit more out of it. So our text for this day, uh, which I hope you can see on the screen share, is John chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. It reads, Jesus said, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so most of us really only know like two verses out of that whole chunk. Um, we, we know that many rooms bit, and we know that way the truth and the life bit. And, and we sort of grab these two texts and sort of make bumper stickers out of them. Um, and they're potent. Um, they're potent sentences. They're, they're potent words of our Lord. And so they're worth cherishing. Don't, don't hear me as, as if they are, are not important. But there's this thing that starts to happen when you grab one Bible verse and you rip it out of the rest of the scriptures because it sounds nice. Um, and that's that you lose everything that's going on in the midst of it. You, you lose the, the part of the grander scheme that it's a part of. And in some cases, that means that you also lose the narrative. Um, the problem when you sort of rip one nice sounding Bible passage out of the rest of the scriptures is that you, you lose the, the who and the how and the where and the when and the why. You lose all of these things because you found something that sort of sounds cozy. Um, and, and so when you sort of say, for example, in my father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And you can take that aside and say, this is beautiful. Look, our Lord has gone into the kingdom of the father and in, in, in the resurrection of body, he, he prepares a, a mansion for you and you will inhabit that. And we say, that's wonderful. But if that's all you've got, if you divorce it from the rest of the scriptures, you sort of have a, a religion that doesn't actually really matter until heaven. Like everything that you're doing right now, um, it, it's, it's, it's awful. And it's, it, but, you know, at least there's heaven someday after, after. And it leaves help out of reach because it starts to leave us then with the, the saying, the very best thing in the world I can do is not live, even though God says your life is a blessing. Um, this was something that we were accused of very early on. Um, one of the things that, um, that the Anabaptists, the people who didn't like baptizing babies, accused us of very early is they say, if, if baptism really does save, why don't you just hold the kid under the water? Which is an appalling thing to say. It's just, it's an atrocious thing to say. And, and they did it to provoke. Um, but it, it, it shows this, this idea that if heaven is all you're looking forward to, what is this life? And, and here you have to acknowledge the fact that, well, this life matters because Jesus became a part of it. Like if this life didn't matter at all, why would our God take on human flesh and join us in it? If this life didn't matter at all and we were just as, as barreling towards the next as quickly as we can, why did Jesus become a part of this one and tell us to love each other in the midst of it? And I'm not saying that the resurrection isn't a good thing. It's a great thing. Look forward to it in great joy. Look forward to it in anticipation. Pray, come Lord Jesus with the rest of us sinners. But at the same time, recognize that this day that the Lord has made is still something to rejoice and be glad in. And it's a Bible verse, I think. When, when you have a, a, a religion that is stuck purely in the future tense, there's not much for you here. 
And in the same way, you can take, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you can have um, just a great chance to bash anybody who has false doctrine in their life. And that's fun for me to do uh, because when you have all the right answers, because you have the, the, the book right here, uh, it's handy dandy. Um, it makes it really easy to show somebody else that they're wrong. But if Jesus is just the way and the truth and the life, and the whole point of this book is to prove everybody wrong, well, that's not love. That, that's really just sort of another chance to bicker about another thing. Um, and it, it divorces uh, Jesus from the very people that he's actually talking to who happen to be wrong. Like, did you notice that, that not only does Jesus spend a lot of time eating with tax collectors and sinners, but who's he spend all his time conversing with? The Pharisees and the disciples who usually don't get it until the end. It's because God actually wants them in his kingdom too, even them. This isn't just a chance to be right. This is a chance to help. This is a chance to draw people to the Father. And again, as we start to expound on this, this, uh, this, this section here, we can see that the religion isn't stuck purely in the future tense. But simply, uh, simply put, uh, to see Jesus is to see the Father. To see Jesus is to see the kingdom. To, to be near Jesus where he has promised to be is to have the victory today. Uh, what we have in John chapter 14 um, is a Jesus who's actually talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. This is, uh, this is right before the Gethsemane uh, shenanigans. I think shenanigans is probably the right word to describe everything that happens there. Um, this, is, uh, this is Judas who is ready to betray. This is Peter convinced that this whole thing is going to stand on his back because he will never, ever, ever, no, not ever deny the Lord, let alone three times before the rooster crows. This is with all of the, the stress um, uh, and, and uh, nervousness that, that fills the room with the atmosphere so thick you can feel it. Um, this is everything. And so when Jesus opens this thing, understand that uh, as, as we talk about this, I'd like to kind of talk about it, uh, the, the wholeness of it, if we have time, uh, in light of our triune God, uh, because th there's a, a triune procession through these verses. Uh, verses 1 and 2 in John chapter 14 uh, start to present uh, the idea of God the Father. And, and even as they do that, though, they start to, to make him accessible. Because here's the problem. Um, no, one has come, or no one can come to the Father except through me. Which means, uh, we, we sort of have to acknowledge, the idea of, of finding God has been a challenge for us pretty much um, the whole time. It, it's our biggest problem right now. Like, where is God in a world of COVID-19? Where is God in a world of war and rumor of war? Where is God in a world of suffering and sinners and all of these things? And we get the idea that the God the Father is in heaven, and he's watching you. And if you're very, very good, maybe he'll reward you with a mansion. But that's not your religion, because it has nothing to do with Jesus. That's not your religion because it has nothing to do with the cross. We're hoping for more in this. And so Jesus, even as he presents the Father, begins to connect himself to it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And so even as, as he pre presents the Father, he does two things. He starts right here. Let not your hearts be troubled. The reason that we're talking about all this in the first place is because we can actually acknowledge that the disciples had troubled hearts. Um, it's because we have troubled hearts. Uh, our, our confessions um, are, are, are presented to us uh, that, that uh, the reason that we do theology is for the comfort of troubled consciences. I think I've said that a few times here already, but the whole point of studying all of this stuff is comfort for troubled consciences. As Jesus is about to go on this big, long diatribe about how he relates to the Father and how the Father relates to him, how does he open it? But let not your hearts be troubled. This is about comfort. 
The point of this is not about being right. The point of this is not about even um, simply, you know, how many Bible facts or trivia pieces you can memorize. This is about comfort. So the thing that we should be looking for in all of this is why would our hearts not be troubled? And so as he starts to say, believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Um, already, we, we start to have a God who would, um, who would invest himself in our joining the Father. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians uh, 4.6. Ignore the squiggly letters. That's a language that we don't got to worry about today. I'll, I'll look at that. That's Greek. Um, you, you can look at that some other time if you want. Uh, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I like Paul because he's really simplistic with his words. Let light shine out of darkness. And that has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to understand who God is, start with the face of Jesus. If you want to understand how God works, start with the face of Jesus. There is inside of this thing um, an important uh, way that we start to, to approach our God. Um, most of the time when people come to God really frustrated, uh, they have questions uh, that, that begin with all the, the five ways that we teach our kids to ask questions, right? The who, what, when, where, why, and how. The, the ones that, that almost always pop up, though, are the why, the where, the when, the how. The one, though, that actually helps us is the who. Jesus directs us all towards the who. Um, not, not the band, because some of you like that stuff. Um, but, but the actual question is, who is your God? In other words, if light is going to shine out of darkness, it's not in knowing all the answers. If light is going to shine out of darkness, it's not in a, a certain point in time. If light is going to shine out of darkness, it's not in knowing how to do all of the right things. That's the law. And the law has not saved you yet. It's not going to yet. It's not going to as we go forward. If there's going to be light that shines, that, that reveals, that gives hope, that comforts troubled hearts, it's in who? What kind of God do you have? And then we look to Jesus and the whole thing starts to become apparent. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who works mercy. You have a God who actually answers us in the midst of our prayer. Um, so that at the end of the day, we, we don't have to put the whole thing on our hands. The reason that we want the why um, is because we're convinced if we actually understood it, it would make us feel better about it at the time. Um, but that's, that's actually not a real thing. Um, because I, I mean, like I understand that exercise is good for me. Um, but that doesn't actually make it any, you know, easier to do. Um, I, I understand that vegetables are, are healthy for me, but I would still rather eat donuts. Um, just knowing why doesn't actually change anything. Um, it, it's just that we're convinced if we had our heads around it, then we would have control of it. But that's idolatry. And again, the idols haven't saved you yet. The reason God calls you to cast aside idols is because they can't save you. In the same way, how is a law question. How do I get through this? How do I do this? How do I get to where I want to be? And, and it's very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the Ten Commandments that have saved nobody. They're great at diagnosing the problems. Look at all the places you don't love your neighbor. Look at all the places you don't love your God. But they're really terrible at actually helping. And again, it, it's a question of control. And so rather than simply seeking to control the situation, rather than trying to wrap our heads around it, rather than trying to, to be able to do this thing yourself, because that's really what the, the why and the what and the where and the how all sort of revolve around is me doing something. Look to the who 
And you actually have a gospel where God does all the work, where God is the one carrying you from where you are to where you need to be, from, from the problems that you're in to, uh, to where you need to go. And, and even it's his job for the how, the, the actually solving them. Are you kind of with me so far? Do you have any questions? Pastor, it's Lamar. I have a question. Hmm. We, we haven't gotten to this verse yet, but uh, because of my age and my forgetfulness, I wanted to ask it before we get to it. Good. Uh, the Lord uh, says, whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think, we know the, the, we know the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is. It doesn't contain the inspired, inspired word of God. It is a word, inspired word of God. But not all things are literal in the Bible. But and, and for instance, this particular verse, if you ask the Lord to kill your enemy or kill your neighbor because you had an argument about a fence line or something, mm. then he wouldn't grant that, you know. So um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, although it is the word of God, not all things in the Bible are, are, are literal taken at face value. Now, you're going to read something spiritually into that verse for me and tell me why I'm wrong. I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two things, and one of them you're not going to like, and one of them you might. Um, there's a psalm that doesn't actually get uh, prayed very much inside of the churches. Um, it, it's one of the impeccatory psalms. It's where David is in the midst of hurt and pain and fear, actually crying out to the Lord just this thing. Um, and I believe this psalm goes something along the lines of, Blessed is he who takes the heads of my enemy's infants and dashes them against the rocks. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, again, just a, a great Mother's Day um, thing to talk about. Um, Thanks, Lamar. <laughs> so um, here, here um, what we have, instead of um, the what, again, I want to go back to the who. I want to go to this, okay. my name. Um, so I can okay. say whatever you ask in my name. And so in other words, Lord, why have you not taken my enemy's infants? Or, you know, why have you not taken my neighbor who moved his fence? Or, or really just why haven't you damned the coffee table every time I stubbed my toe against it and I, I <laughs> prayed without meaning to? Um, rather than all of those things, go to my name. Because our Lord teaches us to pray in a very specific way. He says, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. Mm-hmm. And our catechism, which is kind of my guidebook because I'm not too smart, and so it helps me actually deal with the scriptures. Uh, our catechism tells us um, that, that these words invite us to believe that God is our true Father and we are his true children so that we would ask him as dear children ask their dear Father. Um, that, that means that when we pray, um, we actually pray to a God who's not only capable of doing all things, but wants to do all things for you. The, the for you actually starts to, to connect here in, in a way that um, I don't become a better father by giving my kids everything that they ask for, but I do become a better father by hearing them ask for all of these things and loving them in spite of it. In other words, my wife, um, because she is a good mother, is willing to go to HEB with my children. I mean, not lately because of all this, but, um, and hear them ask for 50 bajillion different boxes of whatever and love them anyway. <laughs> And you know what? No, they don't get every single box of sugar-coated whatever. Um, but my mom actually loves to be near them to care for them. And she loves to hear them, and she loves to work all these things good for them. And so when we start to see then all things good for them, we can start to say whatever um, you ask of my name um, can even be connected to the rest of the Lord's Prayer, like, thy will be done on earth as in in heaven, which is a really painful prayer because I have to pray, Lord, um, do it your way because you're smarter than me. Which right. means um, I, I can start to say, Lord, I want you to hear me just blast my enemy. Lord, blessed is the one who, who would destroy my enemies. And he can say, I did that. I, I brought all of their sin to nothing on the cross. And I'm bringing all of yours to nothing there too. This is my will. 
And if you want to just put it to, to the very edges of, of um, what you think is possible, um, for some reason, we, we get very, very short-sighted. And I'm like, God, wouldn't it be just the most amazing thing in the world if you gave me money? I can't imagine anything bigger than a fancy car. And God's like, dude, I really want to make you stop being dead. You who will die, I'm going to raise your body in the flesh. That's, that's slightly more impressive. We're going to do it this way. And I'm not even saying you can't have that stuff. I'm saying that, that there's a mansion for you, prepared for you in the resurrection. But I want to do things the right way instead of the painful way. Um, he, he's not simply saying, here's freedom to embrace idolatry, because we just got done talking about why idolatry isn't going to help you. Instead, he connects his name to the comfort of troubled consciences, to the works that he is doing for us. Um, and, and so we have the great freedom to pray everything that is in our heart, which is a wonderful thing, because if God can actually read your hearts, pretending that you're not actually thinking those things so that you can have only the politest of prayers is ridiculous. Um, it's disingenuous. It's not helpful, uh, because all it does is teach you to treat God at, at arm's length, because you don't want him too close to you. Instead, invite him to the ugliest parts and recognize that he died for your sin and recognize that he's working good even in the midst of it. Pray the ugliest prayers you can imagine and then recognize that even as you're praying them, you get to pray our father who art in heaven and thy will be done and recognize that God is working all of these things for your good, both now and towards that eternity, which he is drawing us all towards. Is that kind of getting you towards it? That works for me. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, this is... Um, it's it's a it's an important point, um, and it's one um, that that bears a lot of um, a, a lot of discussion because I, I think one of the bigger idols inside of Christianity today is prayer. Um, we actually talk about prayer as as um, that which we fear, love, and trust in sometimes more than the source of the giver more than the one we direct our prayers to. And so then in times of catastrophe, the question isn't is your God merciful? The question is are you praying? Um, and that might be the wrong place to start. Like, really, um, let not your hearts be troubled. Um, I, I can pray a whole bunch and say, like, well, I guess I did my part. But um, at, at the end of the day, uh, Luther, I, again, points us back to a simple truth as, as we we're taught to pray, our Father who art in heaven, uh, that prayer is not about stuff. Prayer is about comfort. If you want to make prayer about stuff, it's a burden. It's your job to pray now. It, it's your burden to pray now. You have to go out and do the thing or else. Um, but if prayer is about comfort, you start to recognize that God's doing these things with or without your prayer. And that's what happens as Luther explains the catechism. Um, every single petition of the Lord's Prayer, he says, hallowed be thy name. And he said, well, God's name is hallowed whether or not you pray. We're praying that it would be hallowed among you. Um, thy kingdom come. Do you think God's in heaven like, I really want to, but I can't unless you pray? No, he's all powerful. If he wanted it there, it's going to be there. But we pray in this petition that God's kingdom would be present among us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that may be done among us also. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, God gives daily bread to people who have never once prayed. Um, he gives this to evil people, but we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this so that we would receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Um, over and over again, Luther is directing us not towards the doing of the prayer, but towards the who behind it. Who are you praying towards? Is he the God who's already got this under control? Is he the God who's already worked for you a resurrection of the body and the life everlasting? Is he the God who's already promised to take care of you? Then all of a sudden prayer stops being such a burden because it's not whether or not you did it, it turns into a gift whether or not the God who you're praying towards is a good God. Um, and these are wildly different approaches. One of them, you see, honestly, um, both mirrored in, in Roman Catholicism and sort of modern American Protestantism about the same. The only difference is whether or not your saints are on heaven or on earth. Um, but, but to a Roman Catholic, a prayer is a good work that you do before the Lord. 
you, you impress him by praying a rosary. It's worth so many Jesus points. Um, and, and to the Protestants, um, they, they're really not so different. Um, you, you sort of come together with, with prayer chains and, and, and all of these things where like, we all sort of tag team up on God because we're pretty sure, even though we don't want to admit it, that God's sitting up in heaven saying, yeah, but I'm really only going to help the popular kids. Um, as if uh, you know, one sinner who repents isn't enough to get all heaven rejoicing, while 99 who need no repenting go on praying. Um, in other words, if prayer is about motivating God to do something, you're saying more about him than you are about you. You're saying that he's not motivated to do it already. God is already motivated to do this. He already took action. Look at this John verse that we've got this day. This is a God who is motivated to save sinners. This is a God who is motivated to gather all unto himself. So that when we whose hearts are troubled, go to him in prayer and you should pray. It stops being about how do I rip something out of the hands of a vengeful or, or, or miserly God. And it starts being, my father in heaven is going to take care of me. I'm scared and it's the middle of the night and I had a bad dream. But my father in heaven is a good God. And, and he's already working something here. And there's comfort near him. I want to be near him. And that's where Thomas starts to go. Like, Lord, where do you mean you're leaving us? I want to be near you. How are we going to get to where you're going? Show us how to get to where you are going because I don't want to be apart from you. That's prayer. Does that kind of make sense? Awesome. Um, it's just like everything else in Lutheranism. The question is, who's running all the verbs? Who's doing all the work? Um, and so to a Lutheran, the answer until prayer is very simple. Jesus saves us. We can't save us. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe. Uh, Jesus uh, keeps me in the faith. It's, it's, it's Jesus who does the good works through me. But for some reason, we come to prayer and we just throw out our entire religion. And we're like, now I got to do stuff or else. No. <laughs> It's the same Jesus who is merciful. It's the same Father who is merciful. It's the same Spirit who, who guides our words. Um, and, and that becomes a wonderful thing. So that as we go into the Lord's house uh, here in a little bit, uh, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for some of our sick people. Um, some of them are watching right now. Um, and, and the wonderful thing about this is um, God was merciful before we got there. Like God don't, won't start being merciful at about 1135 when we get to the prayers. He's merciful right now. The thing is, when we get to those prayers, we get to take all of the, let not your hearts be troubled, but they still are anyways. We get to gather all those up and heap them in front of the Lord's altar and say, this is help. And then we get to remind ourselves what kind of God we have. We have the God who does help. We have the God who does save. We have the God who does work goodness, even in the midst of tragedy and sorrow. And here we find again, more comfort, more gospel, not just more law. Awesome question. Anybody else got anything? Questions or comments? You are all on mute, so don't forget to unmute yourself. Go for it, Linda. <clears throat> when I was in um, confirmation class, John 14, 1 and 2 were very powerful to me, and even to this day. And you're saying to not put it in complete context makes it not seem... I want to show you more, not less. Don't, don't let me rip this from you. Um, what I, what I want to say, and we, we sort of got a little sidetracked, so I'm just going to hop and skip right towards it. Um, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, I were not, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So here's the thing. That means, as Jesus continues along this, that he starts to say, show us the Father. Show us where heaven is. And Jesus says, well, I am where heaven is because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
And for you, this day to hear these verses is of the Holy Spirit. I told you this is a triune procession. So you have the, the Father in the first couple of verses and the Son. And then as we start to end, like down here in verses 12 to 14, you're going to have the Holy Spirit who, who guides us in prayer. In all of it, you have a heaven that gets closer. Because heaven is not a cloud and heaven is not a someday. The kingdom of God is where the king is. And the point of all of this is that Jesus is reminding the disciples that the kingdom is near them right now. Like they don't have to wait for this certainty of hope. They don't have to wait for this comfort of salvation. When he says, let not your hearts be troubled, he doesn't mean let them stop being troubled when you finally get to the mansion. He says, let them stop being troubled right now because I'm bringing the mansions here. Me, in my body, that, that will bear the cross for you, this is where the victory is. And, and you, like here now, 2020, all those years later, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit through word and sacrament, which means that for you, salvation is a present tense word. For you, the mansions that were talked about, they're not a someday mansion, but they're a, they're a hope that is yours right now because the very same God who, who, who has prepared them is working to be in your presence now to, to carry you along the way to that place. That's still a place to look forward to. But that means, though, that if God is working here and now for you in, in word, in sacrament, if, if the kingdom of heaven is made present among you, well, that means that every time we gather around God's word, every time we hear his, his word preached, every time... We are united together in prayer by the Holy Spirit. Every time we receive his supper, the kingdom is made manifest among you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst you. <clears throat> well, what if he brings all the heaven with him wherever he goes? What I'm saying is, is there's so much more majesty in this because you don't have to wait for a God who loves you enough to give you something. That, that there is right now. Um, and, and so we start to measure it then, God's love, not by whether or not I'm in the mansion, but by whether or not I'm baptized. Because if I'm baptized, like he's here with me now. And so in, even until the, the not yet, when I start to see that mansion, he, he's, he's already there and I'm already with him. We, we, we start to measure again, not the where and not the when, but the who. Does that kind of make sense? Yes. Good. Yeah, don't ever let me try and take away from you. Forgive me for, for getting sidetracked along the way. I have ADHD, and I see shiny things, and I go, ooh. Um, but, but the point of all of this is, um, is as Jesus continues, because if that was it, he would have just stopped talking. He keeps talking, um, because he wants them to actually see. Um, as we go into like verses uh, 9, for example, and 10, uh, do you believe uh, in verse 10 that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That means when I speak words to you, it's not just that um, like he, he's allowed to say whatever he wants because the father is, is giving him permission. It's that he has authority to speak words. Um, the authority means that the creation shapes yourself to what you say. And so I have the authority to send my kids to bed. It becomes bedtime whenever I say it is. <laughs> it's, 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 it's an authoritative power. And in the same way, when God speaks to you, when Jesus speaks to you, there is an authority behind those words. So when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, he's backing up all the reasons you don't have to by his works. When Jesus says, I will bring you to myself, he's the one in charge of it. And when Jesus says, for example, even other words like peace be with you, or if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. All of a sudden you have the God who's not going to stand away from you in heaven and sort of like drop you down things if you've earned it. But you have the God who is active and present in his creation. So that of all the stuff that's wrong, you can just sort of gather it all up every single week and dump it in his altar and said, you said you were going to fix this. Help me. And we can remember that it's his job to actually do it, which means it's not our job to figure out how to do it in his name. It's his job to do it in his name. We just get to hide under the name part. Pastor. Yeah. Uh, 
Linda was, I believe Linda was Army. Is that right, Linda? Yes. She was Army. So Linda knows what a pup tent is. Mm -hmm. So I'm good with a pup tent. You know, a lot of people discuss where is it going to be a mansion? Is it going to be a room? Hey, I'm good with a pup tent or, or a room closet. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It's, I mean, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house, my Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but my point in, in all of this, though, is that the pup tent is in the sanctuary. The, the many rooms are the churches throughout the, all of the world. Amen. Like, hear, hear that God won't simply say, um, I'm going to make sure that you don't have to worry by talking to you about later. It, it's sort of like when my kids are really, really hungry, um, and they say, why isn't it dinner time yet? And I say, because it's not ready yet, but it'll be ready later, so leave me alone. And they find so much comfort in that, except it doesn't work that way. Like, nobody finds comfort in a later help. Nobody. Like, I'm great that it's coming later, but like, what about right now? Um, I can stub my toe and I'm a grown up, and I can realize that it's not going to hurt later, but I want to deal with right now. Um, and so recognize then the many rooms that God is talking about are, are made manifest uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit. The pup tents, they are the sanctuaries. They are wherever God's word is preached, wherever his sacraments administered. Um, we build altars and God inhabits them with all of the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. It's a majesty. Um, this is what we strive for, though, um, when, when we decorate our churches, um, because it's, it's hard to see. Like, it, it's just, we've we, we got to be able to acknowledge it's really hard to see. It, it looks like a funny-looking dude in a dress holding up a cracker. Um, and that's, that's called communion. And so we decorate it. We put on vestments. We, we, we hold up a big dead Jesus above it. Um, we, we, even, um, we even stamp little Jesus in, in, in your cracker uh, so that when we look at it, we can say, all right, what is it? Because God has promised, remind me. Um, it's not defined by the art. The art just points. It's not defined by the vestments. The vestments just point. It's the same with the chanting. We've talked about that on a Wednesday night. Um, that, that like I've never ordered a pizza that way. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I recognize that when things got all weird, like it's because something really weird is happening. The, the mansions that are promised the someday are being made present right here. The doorway between heaven and earth is being kicked open by a Jesus who loves you too much to stay away from you. Good. What else do you guys think? All right, I'm going to keep going in verses uh, 9 and 10 then. Um, so Jesus speaks to Thomas um, and, and to Philip. Where is God? In verses 9 and 10, where is God? So Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the Father has seen me. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The where becomes the who. Do you see that? The where becomes the who. Where is God? Who am I? I am Jesus. The Father is in me. What do you mean where? Show us the Father. He, he's, he's right here. Um, and so again, um, you have two little words that are attached to something that, that change it in a drastic fashion. You have the words for you put onto this. Um, in other words, God is not hiding from, from Philip. God is actually drawing near to Philip. Uh, and so we can, we can then stop with the, the questions that aren't helpful and grab the ones that are. Um, I had a professor in seminary who, who drove me nuts um, 
because uh, he, he wouldn't argue with uh, all the, the arrogant little seminarians um, that, that thought we were all smarter than we actually were. Um, but, but he would just listen to us very patiently. And, and as soon as we were done, he would just look at us and smile and say, wrong question. Um, that there is actually such a thing as a stupid question. And if you don't believe me, go to seminary. You will, you will hear lots of them. Um, instead of what has God, or excuse me, instead of what can God do, that's the wrong question. Say, what has God promised to do for you? That's one that actually helps shape our understanding. What can God do? I mean, God can do anything. So we can argue about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. We can argue about whether or not God could make a breakfast taco so big he himself couldn't eat it. Uh, we can argue about all the sort of, you know, the, the, the classic um, things of theology. Um, but, but instead, um, Luther would draw us back towards, um, Lutherans, excuse me, our confessions would draw us back towards John 14.1. Let your hearts not be troubled. Why are you talking about this? What's the point of all this? Who is this helping? And Jesus is actually trying to help Philip in the midst of his anxiety here. And he says, look, I promise to be near you. And I promise to be near you in specific ways, in a specific person. If you're wondering where God is, if you're wondering how to get to the, the mansion promise, stop looking anywhere but where God has promised to be. And God has promised to be in me. Look here. Look to Jesus. And in the same way for you, um, when, when we're in the same frustration, um, we, we can simply say, what has God promised to do? Um, and actually have a, a, a much clearer path towards uh, where he would relate to us than simply sort of saying, what can God do? Because you're right. Like I, I could say, theoretically, I could spin this pen around and God will show me where I need to go. Um, it'll just point. Theoretically, I could throw the book up in the air and whatever page it lands on, that is, that is my theme verse. But God has promised more, more than just power. He's promised mercy. And this is the greatest thing that I kind of want to talk about today as we start to um, move towards things. This is a 45-minute Bible study because I actually have to go and get ready for church. So we've got maybe 10 more minutes. But I want to point this out. God chiefly reveals himself in mercy, not power. God chiefly reveals himself in mercy, not power. If you want to actually start to get down to God's identity, it's not just that he's bigger than me and can squish me. It's that he has mercy on me, a sinner. There's lots of things in this world that are bigger than me and can squish me. That's where I make all my idols. In fact, that's usually chiefly the, the thing that, that drives me towards idolatry is I want power. But when God works, it's not chiefly in power, but in mercy. You can say, wow, it's amazing. He healed the sick. But what drove him to heal the sick? The mercy. You can even say, wow, look, look at the God who has conquered death. But what drove him to do this? It was for you that he bore death in the first place. It was for you that, that he, he came into this world to bear the cross. And in the same way, when we look around and I say, this world's busted, Lord, you have the power to fix it. Why aren't you? Understand that um, mercy and power look different in action because power gets way less dirty than mercy. Mercy gets way dirtier than power does. Mercy means you actually got to get down in the muck with the ones you're being merciful towards. Power just means you cast away that which is dirty. So if I have great power, I don't ever have to get my hands dirty in the first place. I can make other people do that. If I have mercy, that means I'm going to go down in there in the pit. And I'm going to carry somebody out of it. Yours is a God who works chiefly through mercy. That means when you look around, and, and especially when you grab hold of the prayer verses that, that Lamar talked about, uh, whatever you ask of my name, this I will do, that my father may be glorified in the son. Um, we want the father to be glorified in power. 
And so I say, I got all sorts of stuff for you to do. God, just let me start. I got a list for you. And every last one is about power. Everyone is about how to get the world less dirty. It really is. Lord, cast away from me the things that are making a mess and ignore the fact that I'm making my own mess. Um, instead, if the father is being glorified in the son, well, the son is glorified, the father by his chief act of mercy, namely the cross. If you want to see the father glorified, you look to where the son shows what his will really is all along. It's not simply to reward the good and punish the evil. It's to have mercy on sinners because it was the father who sent the son to do this thing, to die on the cross. God the Father and God the Son, their wills are not opposed. It's not that God the Father is angry punisher and God the Son is loving mercy. It's that I and the Father are one. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. And that means that, that the Father who sends the Son to the cross actually wants to work mercy in your life. So you, when you pray, can start to say, yes, God, you have the power to cast aside all the things I don't like. And if it be your will, that'd be great. Please do it. Like, I'm just going like, to throw out there all the things I actually want. Uh, because he knows that I want them anyway. So like, I don't know why I'm going to lie to him if he knows my heart anyway. It's, it's, it's just, it, we talked about that. Instead, I'm going to say, even as I'm taught to pray, God, keep mercy at my foresight, both your mercy for me and what mercy might be worked through me and for my neighbor. That, that means when I, I pray for the sick, um, I, I say it is God's job to be merciful, which means he actually doesn't like that they're sick either. Um, I would love the power prayer, which is simply like the faith healer, you know, the tent revivalist, lay my hands on you, here's some snake oil, now you're better. Um, but even when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he had to die again. What if God had something more merciful in mind? Like dying for the sinners who were themselves dying, so that they would live. Um, that, that means then that when we pray for the sick, we recognize God can make them better and we pray that he would. But we also pray that even as they are, are in the midst of trial and temptation, that they would be united with our God who is not far from them but who actually wants to comfort them in the midst of it and tell them, let not your hearts be troubled. And we have the God who will work through doctors and nurses. We have the God who surrounds us every day with, our, with his holy angels. And we have the God who has promised to carry us through sickness and even out of the resurrection so that, that when we pray, um, we won't measure God's realness by whether or not we're getting what we want out of it, but simply in the fact that God is merciful all the time. And this mercy directs us then to have compassion and even just to, to be with our neighbor in, in the middle of their, their suffering, um, to, to love our neighbor even in the middle of their suffering and to recognize then that this suffering is not too much because our, our God who is merciful uh, has actually accomplished something for us so that we can stop looking to the power. Um, he, he died on the cross and rose from the dead so that this would, be, um, this would be our everything, both the power and the mercy united because those little words for you. What do you guys think? I, I think that's an excellent point, and, and I'm going to go back to my time in the Army again, Linda. Uh, I, I can remember a time in 1973 where we were trying to get all 18 guns in, our, in a, in a three-battery battalion, artillery battalion, out to the field for a big artillery shoot, and one of the uh, one of the howitzers went down. It lost its power pack, which is the engine transmission. They had to pull it over the weekend, get a new one for depot. So Saturday afternoon comes around, and these guys are – working their tails off trying to get that power pack back in and the battalion commander comes down to say hello to everybody he could have been on the golf course he comes down to say hello to everybody he, he gives a gun chief 20 bucks and he said when when we're done when you get that power pack in he had about an hour left he said you make sure these guys have a cold beer when they get through and to follow to follow somebody that's merciful instead of demanding you know, you can demand respect or you can earn it. That's a big difference. And, uh, boy, he went way up on the, on the chart 
that afternoon when he did that for the gun crew. All right. Anybody else got anything? All right. Well, we are uh, just about to wear. Uh, I need to start going and get ready for church. So uh, let us pray the prayer our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven. hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy, name. Thy, kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, will be done on done. earth as it is earth in heaven. Give us this Give day us our this daily, day bread. daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, our trespasses. as we forgive those who trespass, trespass against us. Against and lead us not into temptation, temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, kingdom the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, guys. We'll see you over in the live stream.